Welcome to the Jesus on Prophecy audio resource for the Monroe, Michigan site. Here you will find all the messages from the Jesus on Prophecy series. If these messages are a blessing to you, please share them with your friends and family. We pray all of these resources will encourage you to study God's Word as never before. We saw how a, a counterfeit is only a counterfeit if it's trying to counterfeit a real thing. And we saw that the Antichrist is really seeking to counterfeit the, Christ, the work Christ has done, the real work Christ has done uh, for, to save humanity. The Antichrist will seek to counterfeit that. The earthly symbol finished, now that the real has come, all of the sanctuary sacrifices pointed to Jesus and the sanctuary service was done away with. All the, the intercession that the earthly priesthood did were done away with. We no longer need earthly priesthood because we have Jesus who Paul calls or identifies to be what? Our high priest. Jesus is the high priest that you and I have. Um, just as, uh, so that refresh our minds. Uh, the end time Antichrist would come after Rome would divide. Today's Europe. Would come from the area of Europe. Would appear before the second coming of Jesus. Uh, actually, John says that the Antichrist were even active even in his time, some 2,000 years ago. It's a system, not an individual person seeking to counterfeit Jesus. It would seek to counterfeit Jesus' sacrifice for our sins. And I told you that that is a very, very big um, identifying mark. Six, seek to counterfeit Jesus' priestly intercession and the Holy Spirit representation of God on earth and the Holy Spirit authoritative role to teach and guide believers. The Antichrist would claim the prerogatives to forgive sins, which only God can do. He would persecute God's people blasphemously in God's name and think to change God's times and laws. This is the counterfeit system that has tried to counterfeit what Jesus has done and done away with and try to make it earthly again. If you don't have a background on, on some of these things, I do because of the family that I have. But if you have a, a background in this religious system, you may have already realized who the, where the Bible was pointing to. And this is um, the sacrifice. This is the intercession. And this is the forgiveness. The confession to a man to receive forgiveness. But before I go any further, I want to introduce to you these individuals in this photograph. It's very important. Um, this lady, her name is Angela, Beto, Elisa, eh, Tito, and Marcos. And this lady right here, I'm sorry, Miguel, <laughs> that's my other uncle, Miguel. And this lady right here, that's my mom. They're all Roman Catholics, okay? So when you saw this picture, I don't want you to walk away tonight feeling that the presentation is going to go into an anti-Catholic tirade, because it's not. Neither uh, is the Bible advocating that my sweet grandma is the Antichrist either. Okay, I don't want you to think that either. What we're going to be looking at tonight is how throughout history, this is the system that Satan seduced and infected with pagan lies and has become the most subtle dispenser of lies about God and has become the earthly antichrist, this earthly system that has sought to take away our focus from Jesus and put it on a human being. Um, my family I love dearly. Um, my grandparents, my aunties, uncles have passed away. My mom's the only survivor so far, and she lives in Pennsylvania. This is my mom right here. That's yours truly. That's my younger brother, Marcelo, the one that was getting bullied. That's him. He's no longer shorter than me. He's actually taller. And he has hair, so it worked out for him. Uh, <laughs> this is my cousin Claudia, Julia, and Alejandro. They're all Catholics. I love them. They're my family. So please, I, I'm, I'm putting this parenthesis in place because, number one, I don't want you to feel that there's some kind of bone to pick with this institution. I don't. I love them. I've gone. They've invited me to Mass many times. And because of that, because my cousins would invite me to the Mass or First Communion, 
I was familiar with the, the services and rituals and teachings of the church. So when I came to prophecy and I began to identify how the Bible presents the Antichrist power, it scared me. And at the same time, I was like, it, it's just so clear. It's just so clear. How this Antichrist power seeks to counterfeit what Jesus has done. In 1 John 1, 9, we have this promise that if we confess our sins, He is faithful. And that's a capital H. So who does that referring to? Jesus. If we confess our sins, this is the biblical model, by the way. We confess to Jesus. I love that picture. It's so tender. And He will be faithful and just to do what? To forgive us our sins and to do what else? To cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Besides Jesus, who else can do this? Nobody. So, who is the only person that you and I should go and confess our sins to? And so we have a system today that for centuries, for over almost millennia, has been teaching to not be afraid of the confessionary. That's Pope Francis' appeal, not just to the church and the faithful, but to anyone that should choose to become a Roman Catholic. You go into, you confess your sins to a priest, and the priest will declare, Eo te absolvo, I absolve you, and the priest dispenses forgiveness. Of course, you're giving sometimes penance and prayers to, paint, to, um, to pray. Should we confess our sins to another human being, my friends? Can a human being forgive sins, my friends? Now, the Bible says that it is blasphemous for a human being to claim the prerogatives that only belong to who? To God. Now, Jesus was accused of blasphemy when he was said, how can you forgive sins? You are just a man. The only person, the only being that can forgive sins is who? God alone. Who is the only one that can forgive our sins? Jesus. But not according to the Roman Catholic model. The teachings of the Roman Catholic Church is that you are actually encouraged. That's a very gentle word that is used here in America. But in Argentina, it was mandated. You go to other countries in South and Central America, it's a little bit different. And so this system endorses and wants people to take their eyes off of the high priest in heaven and put it on what kind of a priest? An earthly priest. But Paul, Paul's appeal is, we have a high priest in heaven whoever lives to make intercession for, for us. What other priest do we need? Do, you, do we need another priest? No, we don't. But this system says we do. Hebrews 7.25, Therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Not in this system. You can go to God directly. You have to go through an earthly priesthood. The priest has to take your prayers. That incense, by the way, is a direct borrowing from the sanctuary service that was done away with at the cross. Remember when Jesus died on the cross, what was torn into? The veil in the temple. What was God trying to signify when that veil was torn in two? Do we need to continue doing earthly sacrifices? Do we still need earthly priests bringing earthly incense before God so that our prayers could be heard? No. So this has been done away with by Jesus, but this church has brought it back and is teaching us, teaching humans, that we need them for intercession. Um, this is from the Catechism of the Catholic Church. And the Catechism is the authoritative teaching tool for individuals that are going to be get confirmation, the, their first confirmation, or for individuals that want to leave the church that they're in and become a Catholic and become a catechumen. That just means a student of the Catechism. It says, Episcopal consecration confers together with the office of sanctifying by the imposition of the hands the grace of the Holy Spirit. Speaking about the bishops. This is what happens to the bishops. And a sacred character, listen, listen carefully, a sacred character is impressed in such a wise that bishops in an imminent and visible manner take the place of who? Christ himself as teacher, shepherd, and what else? Priest. And act as what? His representative. Now, the book of Acts, we saw that 56 times the book of Acts tells us who God's representative in the church on earth was. Who is God's representative on earth? The Holy Spirit. Yeah. Remember that? How it is the Holy Spirit and how Jesus had the eyes of God. The Holy Spirit had been anointed upon him. 
But the little horn would have not the eyes of God, but the eyes of a man. Because they have a man acting as God's representative here on earth. And this is not from, you know, IHateCatholics.com. This is straight from their authoritative literature. Walk into any Catholic bookstore, pick up a Catholic uh, catechism, page 389. That's where you will find these paragraphs. Sometimes new editions will move the page one up or down, but I'm giving you the page so that you can confirm and verify these things. This system teaches humans to not look to heaven, to our heavenly high priest, to not look at the cross of Jesus Christ, but to look to the Eucharist and to look to the priest, something that is all devised by humans. Further, this is from the, the same book, Catechism of the Catholic Church, 2nd edition, page 366. Absolution takes away sin, but it does not remedy all the disorders sin has caused. Raised up from sin, listen to this, the sinner must still recover his full spiritual health by doing something more to make amends for the sin. You know what that is implying? That what Jesus did on the cross is not enough. That what Jesus did at the cross is deficient. And that somehow you need to help by doing something. Here's what you need to do. He must make satisfaction for or expiate his sins. This satisfaction is also called what? Penance. Is that in the Bible, my friends? We just read 1 John 1, 9. This is the equation for, to receive forgiveness for God. If we confess our sins to Jesus, yeah. He is faithful to forgive us and cleanse us from how much? All of our sins. And then we have to do a little penance to help it out? No. Period. Which means that what Jesus did on the cross is perfect and complete for you. The grace of God is perfect and complete for you. There's nothing you could do to help God in saving you because Jesus has done it all. Isaiah 53 verse 5 teaches, and this is penance, by the way. This is what one of the methods, the many methods that penance is manifested in this system. Isaiah 53 verse, verse 5 tells us that, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes, what happens? We are healed. We are healed. Who is that he, 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 him, his? Who's that? Jesus. But penance teaches that, no, you have to do something yourself. Jesus says, by, by their fruits you shall know them. And as I'm going to repeat it. It's not the people. My friends, it's not your grandma. It's not even the Catholic priest from the local parish. They're, they're taught these things as being the truth. Unfortunately, their source of truth is not scripture, but tradition. That's why they can't identify these things and see them for what they are. But in a place, this is happening in the Philippines. I, I actually, I used to show way more gruesome pictures and I realized I was grossing people out and so I, I took some of those out. There are people in the Philippines that will actually allow themselves to literally be crucified, not to simply show, but in their hearts that they're trying to obtain forgiveness for God. And they're hoping that by doing this great act of having real nails pierce their hands, that somehow this will atone for their sins, expiate their guilt before God. So these individuals have allowed themselves to be lacerated. They are being given stripes, forgetting that by His stripes we are healed. Do you need to suffer um, a bodily punishment to receive forgiveness for your sins, my friend? Now, Martin Luther was doing that with himself and finding no respite for his soul. Martin Luther, um, I read some of the history, they, they had these metal, um, a, like a circle that, that could be tightened with uh, uh, sharp uh, shards that would pierce into your skin and would cause, of course, tremendous pain and, of course, cause you to bleed. And sometimes monks would wear that for days, weeks, even months, trying to make sure that they had atoned for their sins. Jesus says, by their fruits you shall know them. These are the fruits of the church's teachings. Now, I don't want you to walk away shaking your fist at the Catholic Church. When I came to this country and we needed orientation for immigration, we went to this organization called Catholic Charities that offered us, gave us free applications for immigration, gave us free orientation. 
So there's many good things that are happening through the Catholic Church, but listen carefully, it's being done through Catholic people, not Catholic teaching. It's a big difference. And so I'm thankful for that, for those ministries, and I'm thankful for the, the many other charities that are being done, which are wonderful things. But what we're talking about here tonight is ultimately, it doesn't matter how many charities we do, this world is a cesspool of sin. It needs to go. And before Jesus comes and does away with it, there's going to be a great deception that's going to come upon this earth. And one of the major sources of deception is this very system. Is this very system. We don't have time tonight to go over all of this. I want to finish tonight, though, or, or wind this down by answering this question, which is way more important for us tonight. I don't want tonight to become just a bashing and looking. Look at all that stuff they do. Yes, the, the, the catechism of the Catholic Church teaches things that are pretty much opposite of what the Bible teaches. But how? How could our friends from the Roman Catholic Church have arrived at where they find themselves so far away from what the Bible actually teaches? How did this happen? How did the church end up doing and teaching the very opposite? How did the church depart from what is clearly taught in the scriptures? You know, this is why this is important for us to answer because those that fail to learn from the mistakes of history past are doomed to what? And that's you and I, my friends. Let me ask you a question. If, if it could happen to our friends from the Roman Catholic Church, could it happen to us? Can it happen to you? You better believe it. Um, so we're going to look at some of the things that happened. The church had be became corrupt because of two main reasons. Number one, intermingling pagan Greek philosophy with the pure teachings of the scriptures. And number two, yielding to the seduction of secular civil power and wealth. So we're going to go through a little trip of his church history. First century Christianity. What did it look like? Many of Jesus' eyewitnesses have been martyred or have died of old age. John is the last of Jesus' disciples still alive. A shift of growth from Jews converting to Christianity to Gentile believers begins to happen along with fierce persecution from pagan Rome. Whereas before the church was dominant with Jewish believers, now there's a shift in which the, the majority of the church, the Christian church, consists of um, Gentiles, Greeks, and Romans. Second century Christianity. Christians increased their efforts to distinguish their faith as unique and separate from Judaism. And there's a reason for that. Remember what Jesus said would happen to the temple in Matthew chapter 24? Not one stone will be left on top of another. That happened in 70 AD. And it happened because Rome was getting fed up with the Jewish nation. They were restless for this Messiah to come. And there had been many uh, individuals claiming to be Messiahs. The Maccabee brothers were some of them. And you see that. Uh, actually, that's part of the apocryphal books in, in the Old Testament. Um, and there had been many others who had claimed to be the Messiah, but a false one. They would say, listen, God has anointed me to kick the Romans out of Jerusalem, and now we will become the, second, the, the next world power. Yeah, we're with you. Rome would come and kill them. Over and over, over and over. And Rome was reaching a point of just being fed up. When Rome came and destroyed Jerusalem and destroyed the temple, they didn't just destroy the city they forbade any Jew from ever stepping back in there. They made a law. You step back into this vicinity, we'll kill you. We've given you so many privileges, but it's obvious you don't want our rule. But we will rule you, whether you like it or not. And so Rome began to come hard on the Jews, but because Christians and Jews shared a lot of the same faith, or the same, same templates, eventually... Christians were also being persecuted, thinking that they were being Jews. So Christians began to say, whoa, 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 whoa. We're not Jewish. We're Christians. We're different. We have, a, we have a Messiah, but this Messiah you don't have to worry about. We're not going to overthrow you. This is a spiritual kingdom. We're, we're happy because we believe he will come and he will destroy you, but not us. So don't treat us as Jewish people. The other thing that began to happen is... Um, the Gentiles that began to dominate the Christian church were from a Greek background. And they wanted to reach the high upper ends. 
the, the intellectuals, the people in politics, to hopefully get a respite from the persecution. And so they began to use Plato and Aristotle and use their writings and began to say, listen, the, the scriptures and Plato and Aristotle were, were speaking actually the same thing. There's actually a lot of commonality between us. Let us show you. Like logos, you know, you guys believe in a logos? We believe in a logos, and logos is the Greek word for word. But the Greek way of interpreting this word was t- totally opposite and different than the way cr- the Christian church had seen Jesus as that word. So this began to, it opened the door for what we see here in the second bullet. Christian bishops began to attempt to maintain certain heresies out of the church. Docetism, Jesus did not have a physical body, only spiritual. Marcion, who taught that the, the God of the Old Testament was an evil God. Gnosticism, that there's a secret knowledge, that body is evil, the spirit is good, and that Judas Iscariot was the real hero. I don't know if you remember, National Geographic actually had a special on Judas Iscariot and Gnosticism because there were a lot of Gnostic writings, and there's the Gospel of Judas. And that's what National Geographic did a special on, in which, for the Gnostics, Judas was the real hero. That actually it was good that he betrayed Jesus, because that was part of the Gospel. It's very weird stuff. Well, that stuff was starting to infiltrate into the Christian church, and the bishops were trying to keep it out, but at the same time, they were opening the door for Greek philosophies to come in. And they were still being persecuted and mistreated by pagan Rome. Third century Christianity. Christian bishops seeking to define the unique tenets of Christianity in contrast to that of Judaism increases. There's a decrease. This is important. There's a decreased use of Old Testament for defining Christian doctrine. This is where it began. On opening night when I told you that 75% of the book of Revelation comes from what part of the Bible? Old Testament. This is where it began. Third century Christianity began to de-emphasize the importance of studying the Old Testament in place, New Testament plus Greek philosophers. They were still being persecuted and mistreated by pagan Rome. Fourth century, century, this is the significant year, century. The Roman Emperor Constantine professes Christianity. Persecution ceases completely. Thousands of pagan Romans become Christians, and church and the state, what happens? Unite. Evangelism shifts from prayer and teaching to the force of the civil sword. And Greek philosophy becomes the theological language of the church. You know, church was never the same after this because prior to this, whenever the church wanted to reach out and expand, they would get on their knees and pray for the Holy Spirit and pray for power and boldness to go out there because it largely meant, um, in the third century, they had a... uh, a meeting of all the bishops from the different sectors of Europe and Asia. And when the church leaders came in and Constantine asked them to, to show themselves up to, to relate to some of the, the debates and arguments, these leaders came in. Some of them had missing legs. Some of them had scars of being burnt. Some of them had missing eyes, tortured. Some of them were famished. These were the church leaders. And Constantine was taken back that none of them complained. They were joyful. They were at peace, speaking about Jesus and the promise of his return. But through Constantine, that changed. Fifth century, God's grace dispensed through the Eucharist. Church tradition became equal to the Bible. Devotion and intercession of the Virgin Mary. Earthly priesthood and the Mass indulgences and penance, infallibility of the Pope, and purgatory. We have ushers right now that will be passing out a handout entitled The Church's 45 Steps Down into Apostasy, in which um, I have listed in sequence, in chronological order, all the steps that the Church took to get to where we are today. All the steps. In fact, we have one as well. Thank you. There are, mo- there are more, but I couldn't fit them in a piece of paper. So I left these here because these are some of the more significant ones. But I want you to look at number 29. 
I want you to look at number 29. I put an asterisk and I made it bold for a reason. Number 29, the church in 1229 in the Council of Valencia dictated that laymen officially were forbidden to have or to read what book? It is placed on the index of forbidden books. And if the church caught you with the Bible, it would end up putting you in jail for life or killing you. It's hard to think of the church this way, but these are historical events that happened that cannot be erased. And it's not for us to wag our fingers at them. The reason I'm highlighting this is because Satan was behind this. And Satan would use individuals that had no regards from the scriptures and came to this conclusion that it is best to keep this book out of the hands of laymen. You know who are laymen in church language? You know who are the laymen? All of us. All of us. In reality, I'm considered a clergy by them. I'm a pastor. And you are the layman. The church did not want you to have this book, and the church did not want you to read this book, which helped me understand why my cousins never read it. My cousins, we would have sometimes a little worships in my house, I told you my parents were missionaries, and my cousins loved to come over because they didn't know the stories from the Bible. So my brother and I would tell it to them, but whenever we open the Bible, they would get uneasy. At least the priests in their parish had told them that if, it, if it, they read the Bible, it would confuse them. And so people had actually gone crazy from reading the Bible, that only the priests were capable enough of reading it and interpreting it. That, I might, that, that probably was just that priest that told that to them. But in any case, the consistency has been throughout centuries that the Roman Catholic lay individuals, unfortunately, our dear brothers and sisters in the Roman Catholic Church, for centuries were told, you don't need to have this book, you don't need to read it, just let us tell it to you. We are your priests, we are your intercessors, confess to us, everything you need, we have. That's how they became the Antichrist. The very church that should have been saying, all you need is Jesus. He is your perfect sacrifice. He is your perfect high priest. We're saying the very opposite things, taking the place of Christ on earth. Is that making sense so far, my friends? Read through those, that list is heartbreaking. But what's more heartbreaking is that today, this is a, a real painful reality. I think just as painful, maybe more. In our country, at least, there is no law forbidding you from having this book, right? I have like 30 of these at home, different translations in Spanish. In Spanish, I have like six different translations. And there's no, I'm not worried that the FBI is tapping me because I have Bibles. Praise the Lord that we live here in this country like that. But you know what? In the country where we, as individuals, could have multiple copies and read at any time we want to, Today, in 2019, we have the highest level of biblical illiteracy that the church has ever had. You know what biblical illiteracy means? It doesn't mean that you cannot read. Is that biblical illiteracy means you have really no clue what's in this book. I used to give Bible studies. I was a missionary church planter in Columbus, Ohio. And 20 years ago, I could go into any home and say things like, yes, when Moses led the children of Israel out of Egypt, and people had a pretty good idea what I was talking about. But today, I go into someone's house, grown-ups, not just kids, but grown-ups. I go into their home and I say, yeah, when Moses led the children of Israel, who? Moses. Who's that? Listen, friends. Satan has been perfecting his craft. And his modus operandum has always been the same since Genesis chapter 3. Has God really said? He wants to take this book, not out of your house, out of your heart. Because many Christians have this book, but never crack open its pages. Many individuals have this book in their homes, and they have lots of questions. 
They may not be believers, but they may be seekers. But they never go here. My appeal to you tonight is that you choose to not become biblical illiterate. There's only one way to do that. You need to start reading this book for yourself. So I'm making an appeal right now. Who wants to begin to read the Bible regularly on their own? <coughs> My friends, there is no other way. The reason I told you earlier, those that fail from history are doomed to do what? Repeat it. Repeat it. Um, the Bible is letting us know how could such wrong things about Jesus have been taught not by people against the church, but by the very church itself. It's because Satan chose to take this out of the church. And in our country, Satan knows that he cannot use the government to forbid us from reading it. Maybe we should so that well, actually we could read it. Because there's one part of the world where the Christian church is exploding. And it is a part in the world that if I were meeting this in place right now, I probably would have been arrested by now. And I'm not exaggerating. And I will be monitored every move that I make because I am a pastor. I probably wouldn't even get a visa to go into this country. And perchance that I would get a visa to go into this country, I would get monitored from day one. And everything that I say would be monitored. And in this country, churches are confiscated for no reason whatsoever. Crosses have been taken down from churches uh, because of the government saying they're anti-government. You know what country I'm talking about? China. China. Now let me ask you this. With all of that oppression and persecution, you want to guess what part of the world the church is growing the fastest? China. You know where the church members weep, cry, sacrifice, scrape every penny to buy what book? You know what they do when they buy one? They devour it. They devour it. They have television just like you and I. They have smartphones and tons of video games just like you and I. But this is the center of their life. You and I have no right to wag our fingers at the Christian church doing these things. If you and I are allowing Netflix and Hulu and the Xbox and the PlayStation and um, Bob Barker, is he still doing the prices right? It's been a while since I've watched it. He may have retired by now. You guys know who Bob Barker is? Yeah. <laughs> I, I was the son of a missionary. And I could tell you every character on ABC's, NBC's, and CBS sitcoms. And I could tell you every movie plot, almost from memory. Die Hard 1, Die Hard 2. They run out of uh, verbs, you know, Die Harder, Die Hardest, Die Hardestest. You know, they had to come up with other titles for those movies. And I knew every single one of them. But ask me about Hosea. Ask me about King Solomon. Ask me about Abraham, and I was clueless with a Bible in my home. I pray that that will not be your journey, my friends. God sees our hands going up tonight, and he's sending the Spirit to your side to encourage you. Because I can guarantee you, Satan does not want you reading God's Word. That is what unmasks his deception. This is what happened in the past. Mark 7, 5 through 9 says, Then the Pharisees and scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders? To the what, my friends? Tradition. But eat bread with unwashed hands. He answered and said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy about you, hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but what? Their heart is far from me. And in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the what? Commandments. Of God? This eyes of a man has been around for a long time. And, God, and Satan was most effective in deceiving God's people by using the very church leaders back then. All Satan had to do is create a carbon copy of what already existed at the time of Christ. Religious leaders that suppressed the teachings from Scripture and exalted their traditions. That's all Satan had to do. He just did it better. Mark 7, 5 through 9. For laying aside the commandments of God, you hold the traditions of who? Men. 
not all, all traditions are bad. But if a tradition contradicts the word of God, what should you do with that tradition? Remove it. Because if God didn't give it, it will harm you. It will lead like those individuals in the Philippines flagellating themselves, thinking they have to do that because God's not forgiven them completely. There's still some guilt. He said to them, All too well you reject the commandments of God that you may keep your traditions. The Catholic priest and the Pine Ridge Native American Reservation became a friend of mine. His name was Father Glenn Welsh. I met him in 2001. I was a massage therapist at this lifestyle center. And Pine Ridge in South Dakota is south from where I, I lived. And he had come because his cholesterol was a bit high. He, he wanted to learn some ways to be healthier. So he came to this center where I worked as a massage therapist. And everybody liked me at this lifestyle center. Um, it was a vegan place. I don't know if you know what that word means. Uh, it doesn't mean that you eat cardboard, but it does mean that you don't eat anything from a plant, from an animal origin. And um, I didn't know what that word meant either <laughs> until I got there. Um, and, of course, they put people to do exercise. That's lifestyle, change their lifestyle. And so they hated the guy that did exercises because they made everybody sore. But they liked me because I took away the soreness. And so I became everybody's friend really fast. And Father Glenn, every morning we would take him for a four-mile hike before breakfast. He would walk. Beautiful. By the way, the Black Hills of South Dakota, if you've never been there, it's beautiful. And Father Glenn was there for a whole week. And... The first day I found out that he was a Jesuit priest. And if you don't know who the Jesuits were, the Jesuits are a special um, order, that's the word that I was looking for, a special order of priests um, that uh, originated in Spain by a priest named Loyola, like Loyola University in Chicago, named after him. Um, And he wanted to counter the Reformation. The Reformation, uh, speaking specifically the Protestant Reformation. See, Martin Luther, he did something revolutionary. He said, um, actually, our traditions say this, but the Bible says it is by grace through faith. By grace through faith. That means I don't have to do penance. It's huge, huge. So that's when he does the 95 Thesis against um, penance, and uh, all the other things that the church was doing that were incorrect, not all of them, but most of them, and indulgences. I was trying to think of the other one, the big one, indulgences. And from Luther came other individuals that began to look at the Bible more and more closely. I was going to spend a whole night going through that list as well. Father Glenn Welsh came from that tradition of Jesuit priests that tried to counter everything Luther was doing, try to have rebuttals, to ridicule and disprove the Protestant Reformation. And I knew that. Father Glenn was an extremely friendly man. I'm glad I met him. Um, The first day that we go for a walk, Father Glenn and I are quiet, and uh, he knows I'm, I'm from a Protestant tradition, and he knows that I know he's a Jesuit Catholic priest. You know, I'm telling him about that pine over there, and that we found a rattlesnake over there two weeks ago and the people like to go fishing. And he taps me gently on the shoulder and says, Ariel, have you consecrated your heart to Virgin Mary, to Mother Mary? I wasn't expecting that. So I said, uh, well, Father Glenn, I, I appreciate your burden, but I've consecrated my heart to Jesus. Why would I need to consecrate it to someone else, including Mother Mary. And he smiles and he says, I was expecting you to ask me that. I said, ooh. He says, um, when you were little and you wanted something from your dad, did you ask your brother to ask your father or did you go to your mom to ask your father? And that's why you want to consecrate your heart to the Virgin Mary. I was like, that's a great answer. I had never thought of it that way. Um, so we began to talk and, and Father Glenn, it's a whole week worth of conversation that I'm trying to condense to highlight to you something. He began to tell me how the Roman Catholic Church has one big mission, which is to bring all religions under their guidance. And I said, wow, that's exactly what the Protestant Reformation is trying to do. We're trying to bring the entire world under the authority of the scriptures. And then he smiled and he said, oh. 
Ariel, I'm glad you brought up the scriptures. There are two sources of truth. Do you know what they are? I don't know, Father Glenn. Um, the Bible and I don't know. It said tradition. There are two rivers of truth, and this is how the, the church helps you. There's the Bible, and then there's tradition. Father Glenn, I'm so sorry. I still don't get it. Can you explain it to me? Mind you, this is just me with a high school degree and a certificate as a massage therapist. I haven't yet gone to college. I don't know much about history. And I'm asking sincere questions. I really, I, I, he's not getting through to me, Father Glenn. So he says, well, here it is. Adam and Eve. Uh-huh. Adam and Eve, he says. You would read the Bible and you read about Adam and Eve and you're left confused, right? Not really, but okay. Well, this is what happens. Tradition informs you that that is allegorical. And the tradition helps you understand what lessons are there, spiritual lessons, but tradition helps you understand that these were nomadic people, probably the first homo sapiens that inhabited the planet, and they were wandering around trying to figure out life. And so they came up with this narrative, this story of a serpent and all those things in their folklore. I just kept repeating it and repeating over millions of years, and that's how we have Genesis 1 and 2 and 3. like I've never I'm starting to pray like Lord I've never heard anything remotely close to this how do I even answer this Lord and the reason I'm telling you all of this is because God used a college dropout who dropped out under academic probation with only a high school diploma to give the gospel to a Jesuit priest who had two PhDs and was in a sabbatical to get his third PhD. And I say that to boast about Jesus. I had no intellectual capacity to go toe-to-toe with this man. And it wasn't a toe-to-toe. He really cared for me. I sensed it. And he sensed that I really cared for him. So I'm praying like, Lord, nomadic people, what? How do I answer this? And as I'm praying and Father Glenn keeps talking, Abraham, Abraham, all right. Father Glenn, I'm sorry. Is Abraham literal or he, is he also an allegory according to church tradition? Oh, no, Abraham's very real, he says. Abraham's very literal real, like literal real. Then, Father Abraham, who, who was the transition one? The transition what? The transition one. What do you mean, Ariel? Well, Father Glenn, if Abraham is a literal human being, The Bible tells us the name of his father, the name of his grandfather, the name of his great-great-grandfather, and that lineage goes straight to Adam. So which ones were the allegorical nomadic people and which one was the real one? Well, some scholars say that. I didn't say that I said that, but some scholars believe that way. Maybe that was not a, a good example, Ariel. Let me give you the best one. Lord, I was sweating with that one. Father, it's not that I want to win the argument. He does not believe. He does not believe. This system is suffocating his faith in you, in your word. All right, Ariel, here's the best example. Jonah. Clearly, Jonah is an allegory. I mean, really, a fish swallowing a guy, spitting him. That can confuse so many people. So many people have given up on the Bible when they read that. But here steps the church with tradition and says, that's allegorical. Of course it didn't happen. We don't underestimate your intelligence. We don't expect you to believe in fables and myths. But let the church interpret it for you through tradition. This was day number five. Glenn would leave the next day. We had a two-mile walk to these railroads, and we would go back two and two miles, four total. We were almost at the end where we would turn around. And there was a holy love for this man. I was jealous for him. I became furious at this system that this man that I had gotten to know over the next, he was so gentle, he was kind, he cared for the Native Americans that he was serving. He was a good person, but the religious teachings were corroding and infecting his ability to believe in the Word of God. 
And at that moment, I believe the Holy Spirit gave me what I prayed stayed in his memory the way he has stayed with me. I, I grabbed his arm this time. I said, Father Glenn, I'm sorry, excuse me. What's harder to believe? What takes more faith to believe? That a man was swallowed by a fish and was spit in the shore? Or that a man died, was buried, and he rose from the grave? What takes more faith to believe? Do you understand the question? Out of the two, which one would you say takes more faith to believe? A man swallowed by a fish and being spit out again, or a man dying, being placed on the grave and resurrecting from the grave? Which of the, the two takes more faith? And Glenn got it. He didn't answer that question, but he got it. And when I could see that he understood the question, I said, Father Glenn, if your church teaching is leading you to not believe that a man was swallowed by a fish and was spit out again, how can you believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ? And if you cannot believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, if that is too much for your faith to handle, you are lost. At that moment, Father Glenn was looking at me, he looked past me, and it was as if all the light bulbs in his mind were going off, and he looked at me and said, Good point. And we turned around, and it was silence for the rest of the walk. His mind was going, and I prayed for that man. I wept for that man. I still pray. I don't even know if he's still alive. Beloved, Jesus says, you will know them by their fruits. And I loved Father Glenn, a Jesuit Catholic priest, as a brother in Christ. And I had righteous anger against a system that could wound his faith by the teachings. By the teachings. Is this clear, my friends? I don't want you walking out of here tonight saying your Catholic uncle is the Antichrist, okay? That's not what we said tonight. Tonight we said that there is a system that if you embrace the teachings of the system, it will completely divert your faith away from Jesus, away from the Holy Spirit, away from the Word of God, and pull it, put it completely upon another human being. And that is the Antichrist of end-time prophecy. And tonight we just scratch the surface. There's still more to come. But the Bible doesn't simply tell us those things. There's a prophetic call to return and follow. John 10, 27 says, My sheep hear whose voice? My voice. And I know them, and they follow who? Do you want to follow Jesus, or do you want to follow a man, my friend? I want to follow Jesus. I want to follow Jesus. Revelation 14, 4 says, These are the ones who do what? Follow the Lamb wherever Jesus goes. I want to follow Jesus where Jesus goes. How about you, my friends? I want to do that. So we have a prophetic call tonight. Return to the biblical faith, both Old and New Testament. Return to the teachings of Jesus and the apostles, not the traditions of men. Return to the mission of the church. Follow by faith only. Follow the Bible only. Follow Jesus only. How does this sound to you, my friend, tonight? How many of you say amen to this? It is time for Christians to return. And we need to invite our Roman Catholic friends and families I've appealed to my cousins. I've appealed to my aunties. Please consider reading the Bible. But they were afraid of doing that. But it didn't stop me from appealing and sharing material about Jesus Christ. So my response, your response tonight, I choose to make the Bible the only rule and guide for my life. I choose to have my faith be instructed, corrected, strengthened, and sustained by God's Word. I choose to better understand Jesus Christ by studying His life in the pages of the Bible, both Old Testament and New Testament. Does anyone want to make this decision tonight? I invite you to raise your hands as we finish tonight. Father, what a journey we've had tonight. Some of us may have seen it coming before I mentioned it, but for some of us, Lord, this catches us completely unawares. We were not expecting this tonight. But your word is true, and it has not made a mistake. 
Father, what, what failed when you sent your son the first time, your people, through their traditions, had departed from your commandments. And today, Lord, the Christian church, by choosing our traditions, we have departed from your word. But we don't want that to be our journey, Lord. Tonight, we choose your word. Tonight, we choose faith in your grace to save us. Tonight, we choose to confess to you alone. Tonight, Father, we choose to have faith in your Son, Jesus Christ, and only in Him and no one else. But mostly, Lord, I appeal for my friends tonight. So many years I've wasted in front of the television. I didn't need a communistic government to deprive me of your word. I did that voluntarily. And there may be here some tonight, Lord, who are consumed by that which is preventing them from exposing and studying your word, exposing their minds to your holy word, and studying in such a way that they will grow and mature in their faith. As their brother in Christ in this journey, I pray for them, Lord. Bring conviction, change, Father, our appetites, that we will not crave the things of this world at the expense of your holy word. Give us a heart like our brothers and sisters in China who choose incarceration rather than to give up your word, who choose to lose their possessions rather than to deviate from their conscience what your word asks us to believe in. They're being told by the government, there is no God, Re renounce your belief in God. And they're saying, no, I will never renounce my faith in Jesus, my Savior. Give us a heart like that, Lord. Give us a heart that is committed and a heart that will persevere. Father, as we leave tonight this place, give us traveling mercies and bring us back tomorrow night, Lord, that we can continue in this journey of discovering the truth from your word. In Jesus' name, amen, Father. Amen. Amen.